You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. I had a seasoned saint call me this week and apologize that again they weren't going to be here this, this Sunday. They hadn't been here for five weeks, and I knew they hadn't been here for five weeks. Not because we take attendance here, but just because I love gathering with you all. And so we do miss you when you're gone. And um, for, for them, it was the polar vortex and then the succession of three storms, three weekends in a row. It's just been one of those winters. But we're going to continue to be Iowa strong, right? And push forward in Jesus. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Kings chapter 18. I want to share a message with you this morning about breakthrough prayer. <coughs> breakthrough prayer. I believe everybody in this place is either praying for something substantially big or they have a desire to pray for something substantially big. One, two, or three things. There's usually one one to three things going on in our life at a given time that are sizable matters, sizable issues, that either we have this faith and we're taking it to to the Lord in prayer or we we wish we had that faith to take it to the Lord in prayer. We, We feel like we should be. I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you're praying for? What is it that you're asking the Lord for? We've laid a foundation over the last month and a half in this this series on prayer to come to a firm understanding that prayer is not about asking God for things. But that doesn't mean we can't ask God for things in prayer. That's actually a big part of it. But the basis for our relationship is not asking. Instead, Asking is the, I mean, uh, relationship is the basis for our asking. So we, the, the only reason we, we ask is because we're coming to this knowledge of who God is and his will and his nature. And it's from that place we have this faith that we can ask. We have this confidence growing in our hearts that we, we desire to ask God for things. So we, we, don't, we don't base our entire relationship on what we ask for. That's not all that our relationship encompasses. But as we walk with God, as we come to know who he is and what he's like and his will for our lives and for his will for those around us, this faith arises and, and asking is logical in the kingdom of God. Asking is, is logical when it comes to relationship with God Almighty. So we should ask God for things. I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you're praying for? This is a, a message that's close to my heart because I'm asking God for some very big things for us in this city. Even this week, God gave me this promise that if he's given us a seat, he wants to fill it. If there is an open seat in this place, his will for us as a church is that he'd fill it. Because his heart is that that not one would perish, that all would come to repentance. So in a city of 70,000 where 50% consider themselves irreligious, without religious affiliation, his will is that this seat would be filled. And I'm contending that this church would be a place of of healing and the miraculous. I have this dream of this place being a place where people bring the sick ones to this church. Those that are are ailing and have diseases, have cancer, they bring them to this church to discover and encounter a God, a God of the miraculous. That's what we're contending for as a church. I have this dream of this this church being a, a church where those that are have mental illness and anxiety, depression. This would be a refuge for them 
to encounter the God, not of confusion, but the God of peace. That's what the church should be. So we're contending as a church for breakthrough. It's breakthrough prayer. But you personally, in your life, in your family, in your individual situation, what is it that you're praying for this morning? I would venture to say that oftentimes as we're praying for big things in God, we actually fail to recognize the breakthroughs when they're given. Because oftentimes we're asking God and and we believe the answer is going to come in a very, very specific package. But oftentimes that doesn't actually line up with the size, the scope, the scale of the things that we're asking for. These These are big things. And oftentimes he initially brings the breakthrough in a, an unsuspecting package. And I want us to talk about that this morning through 1 Kings chapter 18. God has given us so many promises. And I pray you leave this place this morning with greater faith to recognize what God is doing in your midst. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look at the ministry of the prophet Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Elijah had the task of ministering during the reigns of one of the worst kings in Israel's history, King Ahab. King Ahab is evil. Not, not only was, I mean, you could think of like somebody who's apathetic towards uh, towards God, towards Yahweh, as being a bad king. But Ahab wasn't just apathetic or uh, kind of um, wallowing in this mediocrity in his faith towards God, uh, towards Yahweh. Instead, he actually opposed Yahweh by marrying a Canaanite woman named Jezebel. And he didn't just marry a Canaanite, uh, Canaanite woman named Jezebel, but he actually worshipped her gods. So much so that he built a temple to, to Baal, He put up Asherah poles all over so the people would worship the the gods of the Canaanites. I mean, Ahab was a bad king. And God called Elijah to minister during this difficult time in Israel's history. So God, through Elijah, brought judgment upon Israel in the form of a drought for a little over three years. This was brought upon the kingdom of Israel. And God calls Elijah into this epic showdown. Maybe you're familiar with the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, this epic showdown between Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal, of of King Ahab. Two sacrifices, one that's drenched in water, one that's dry and has the 400 prophets of Baal singing and dancing and making a commotion to to somehow attract the attention of of the, the Canaanite gods of Baal and nothing. And obviously the showdown goes down and uh, God consumes the sacrifice of Elijah. And I believe in that moment, the heart of King Ahab is beginning to be softened. And that's where we find ourselves here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. This is right after that showdown in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah walked with God, and God spoke to Elijah and said, rain's coming, the drought is over. Elijah had a promise from God that rain was coming. There's no physical sign of it yet, but he had the boldness to go to Ahab and say, 
go up any, the sound of rushing, the rushing of rain is coming. I can hear it. And you can sense that Ahab's heart is beginning to soften. Towards the end of Ahab's life, he does repent. It's an amazing story of redemption. That no one is beyond hope. No one is so evil that they can't be redeemed, that this God of mercy and grace can't pursue them and give them another chance. King Ahab is, is hope for all of us. But King Ahab here is taking commands from Elijah. He was just shown that uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is, is the God of all, and he consumed the sacrifice. So now he's willing to listen to Elijah. Okay, I'm going to go up and eat. I can do that. I can eat. I can go and veg for a little while. Continuing in verse 42, And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Elijah was desperate, and his posture demonstrated that. His, his this desperation to depend once again on God, the God of Israel. You see, Elijah had seen God move time and time again. After the drought, God sustained Elijah in the wilderness from the mouths of ravens. Elijah had seen God raised the widow's son from the dead. Elijah had seen the miraculous. Here, right before this, you know, Elijah just came out of that, that, that showdown where God consumed the sacrifice that was doused in water. Everything stacked up against Elijah. And Elijah knew that God was the God of the impossible. He knew it wasn't based on himself. He knew it wasn't because of of who he was and his skills, but instead his posture demonstrated that he was fully dependent on God, that he was reliant on God. He had nobody to impress. He was on top of a mountain. His servant was there. Many times we, we don't think about traditions, physical position in our prayer times. We think that they're just they're religious motions. They're traditions uh, that have been passed down through the ages. But I believe Elijah's posture here was a true demonstration of the faith in his heart. That he was getting as low as he could to the ground to demonstrate that he was fully dependent on God. And I would challenge you to give space in your time of seeking the Lord. That when faith arises, allow it to be demonstrated physically. That's why we raise our hands as a church. Some of you, that's new to you, and you, you look around, why are these people raising their hands? It's simply a demonstration of something God is, is welling up inside of us. We can't help but uh, demonstrate outwardly this full surrender to who God is. And the same is when we, we kneel down before God and when we put our faces to the ground. Sometimes when I'm all by myself, I just lay on the ground as a demonstration of me in the lowest position that I can be physically. And God is high above all, supreme, sovereign God of the universe. Elijah was desperate, his face between his knees, and continuing in verse three or 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up, looked, and said, there is nothing. He said, go again, seven times. Elijah had a promise that the rain was coming. He knew his rain was coming. He prayed, but nothing happened. Have you been there before? <laughs> yes, we've all been there. And so many times, it's after that first time of praying, we ask, hey, God gave us a promise in John chapter 14, verse 14, that if we ask anything in his name, he's, he's gonna do it. Well, I pray, nothing happened. Must not be for me. I must be broken or God must be broken. What's wrong with the equation? Elijah didn't allow those types of questions, unbelief and cynicism and doubt to keep him from the promise of God. 
Instead, he prayed again. He told the servant, go, check again. Nothing. I'm going to pray again. Okay. Scott, I know you're going to bring rain. He sends him again seven times. That's persistence. It's the principle of contending. And I believe God is calling our church to a place of contending. To stop making excuses for why we don't see the things we read about in Scripture. We'd stop changing our theology to match what we see in the world around us instead of trying to align it up with Scripture. Say, God, what is your will? What is your best for our city? What's your best for my family? What's your best for my marriage, for my kids? What if we stopped making those excuses? What if we began to contend? I believe persistence is fueled by a knowledge of God's will. When you, when you know God's best, his will for your life, there's this faith, there's this grace that fuels us to contend, to persist in prayer. And Elijah knew that the drought was over and rain was coming, so he was willing to contend. What is God calling you, calling you to contend for? He's calling our church to contend to be a place of healing and wholeness, of restoration. But what's he calling you to contend for? The people, of, the people of God have always been fueled by the promises of God. Think through God's redemptive story. There's always been a promise. There's always been this promise that God has fueled his people with, whether it be the promise of a child or the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey or the promise of, of a Messiah or a king, a promise of, of a better day. There's always been this promise that's fueled the people of God to persist and to contend and to push forward in faith. What is God asking you to contend for? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this, and because of his glorious, or sorry, because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. He's so gracious, he's so generous. And these are the promises that enable you to, sh- to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. God has given you an answer a way of pushing past this corruption that taints our human desires to push past, to feel you past it, to persist. And it's these great and precious promises of God. So the more and more you and I familiarize ourselves with the promises of God, with the ways of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the will of God, the more and more you'll find this this inner fuel, the Holy Spirit welling up inside of you, pushing you to contend, pushing you to persevere. The voices of unbelief and cynicism and doubt will get quieter and quieter because the voice of the promises of God will get louder and louder and they'll push you forward to persist. Pray, I pray we'd be people like Elijah. Seven times he prays. In verse 44, at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand. This is the servant speaking. Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, Go up, say to Ahab, Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. What a huge leap. And here Elijah hears. He doesn't even see with his own eyes. But the description of the servant is one that is clothed in doubt and unbelief. There's nothing out there, but there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. 
And Elijah immediately, his faith overwhelms him. He says, well, you better go tell King Ahab that he's going to get washed away if he doesn't get, get going. He's got to get his butt in motion. He, he has to get to Jezreel because the rain is coming. What, what happens here? What, what is going on? Elijah was a man of faith that chose to recognize the breakthrough when the breakthrough came. What if sometimes we were actually missing the breakthrough when the breakthrough came? You're praying for your kid who's walked away from God, your spouse who doesn't know Jesus, your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. And God gives you the breakthrough, but we don't have the faith to recognize it as breakthrough. What if you're contending for a healing in your body or, or somebody that you, that's very close to you and you don't recognize the breakthrough when it comes? You're asking for financial breakthrough. You need a miracle. And we don't recognize it when it's given. A cloud the size of a man's hand. You read it right. Elijah had faith to recognize. I want to be in that company of the men and women of God who had eyes of faith to recognize the hand the size, or the, the cloud the size of a man's hand. So verse 45, 46, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God gives him supernatural strength to actually beat him to his summer palace in Jezreel. Elijah was confirmed here. His faith was confirmed. The clouds grew black. The rain poured out on him. He recognized the breakthrough. Before any of us probably would have recognized it. Before his servant recognized it. Before Ahab recognized it. And I pray that we recognize the breakthrough when it comes. I believe that too often we can allow the breakthrough that has yet to come take away from the breakthrough that has already been given. So I want to end with three examples of, of ways in which God, I believe, brings breakthroughs, and sometimes we miss it. These are just ways in, in my own life that God has been pricking my heart, convicting my heart to wake up and recognize what he's doing in our midst. Because if you think of the scale and the scope of the miracles that we're asking for, it would make sense that there is an epic battle at war in this world and in, our, in ourselves to recognize what God is really doing. These are big things that we're contending for. First is financial. This is something I learned from my dad. My dad is one of the, um, the greatest men of prayer that I've, that I've met and that he's, he's taught me in the, things, taught me in the, the ways of God of, of praying and being a man of faith. The way I learned to study the word of God was from my father. My dad is not a minister or a pastor. He's a marketplace guy. He's a, a fireman, an officer as a, uh, as a fireman. And the way I learned to study the Word of God is by looking at his Bible and seeing all the things that he marked up, the notes he made in the margins, the crinkled pages. He took it with him everywhere and learning to study and to pour over Scripture like my dad. It's my dad's example. My dad taught me how to trust God with our finances. My dad had difficulties raising a family early on as a, as a young man, a wife that struggled with uh, addictions, mental illness and addictions. And then eventually my dad, for a number of years, was a, was a single father. That's financially difficult to sustain a family of five as a single father. But my dad had a, 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 
a resolve in his heart to trust God for his provision. That God is a God that gives us his promise. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, that if the, the lilies of the field are clothed, isn't your, your, isn't your good father in heaven gonna clothe you? Isn't, isn't he gonna give you everything you need? And if you seek first the kingdom of God, he's gonna add everything else unto you. He's gonna give you what you need. He's, he's a God that provides. But what my dad taught me was sometimes that breakthrough of provision doesn't come in the miraculous envelope in the mailbox. That's what we think when we pray and we cry out, we need a miracle. God, the bills are stacking up. We need a miracle. And we, we can find that prayer to one answer. It has to be a lump sum in an envelope in our mailbox in one moment, right? That's what we believe. My dad taught me that's not oftentimes how he's seen God work in his life. That's happened from time to time and it's happened for me and my wife from time to time. But as, as we've stepped out and trust God for our financial provision time and time again, we've noticed sometimes the breakthrough comes in other ways. My dad recognized that oftentimes it came in the form of the opportunity to work overtime or opportunity to make some, some side income some, some other place. And all of a sudden the income is provided. Sometimes the provision, the breakthrough came by expenses unexpectedly being lower than what they had planned, what they budgeted. They had expected a bill to, to be required and be due, and then it gets slashed and it, it, it disappears. Is that any less of a miracle? Is that any less of a breakthrough? At the end of the day, God has provided like he promised, and the promise stands true. Let us be a people that our faith is built as God moves around us, and we recognize, we have faith to recognize God's promises being fulfilled in our midst, amen? It's who God is. Second area I've noticed in my life, God just convicting my heart to recognize the breakthrough when it comes is in the area of healing. These are big, big things. When we're asking God to bring healing in our own lives, in those that are closest to us, these are big things intertwined with so much emotional turmoil as well. Some of the biggest battles of prayer that we'll find ourselves in in our life are in these battles contending for healing in people's bodies. But there's a promise that we're given in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that says, by his stripes you are healed. You know that? You have, you have that, that great and pre- precious promise, as Peter tells us. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that by his stripes you are healed. So there's this story that stuck with me ever since I read it in college 15 years ago. In Mark chapter 8, there's this story of Jesus praying for a blind man. Mark chapter 8 says, Jesus prays for this blind man. He says, hey, can you see? It's one of the only instances where Jesus actually asks for him to, for some feedback on the results. And the man says, well, I can see people walking around, but they look like trees. That's right. A partial healing. Jesus, king of the universe, sovereign over all, Messiah, the great healer, prays for a man and he's partially healed. That man could have walked away, said, who is this guy? I thought he was the healer. I'm not fully healed. And how often have you allowed that, that script, that mindset to steal, you from, to steal a miracle from you? He says, Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you again. And he prays for him again and he's healed. Fully healed. 
That example of a partial healing, your, your, flood, your mind can be flooded right now. I can see all your wheels turning. You can, your mind can be flooded with all the, the whys. Why a partial healing? Or why was I not healed? I don't know. And no, nor does Jesus go into that mystery. Too often, we allow the mystery of persistence and perseverance to steal us, to steal away the, the power of prayer in our lives. Is it any less of a miracle? Oh, just, so yeah, just a, a great example. Two weeks ago, we had a Sunday evening service, and someone walked in with a lot of pain from fibromyalgia for 25 years that they had walked around with. At the end of the service, they came forward, and they received prayer. We, we gathered around her, and we, we prayed, and she, she said she felt a, a wave of cold air wash over her, and all the pain was gone. Praise God, no pain. You walk in with pain, you leave with no pain. That's what we're, that's what we're contending for more and more often, every time. So I checked in with her a few days later, actually unsolicited. She texted me and she said, hey, pastor, no pain, three days later. Praise God, no pain. You had pain for 25 years and now you have three days with no pain. Praise God. 10 days went by, I texted her again. Hey, how's it going with your pain? 10 days, no pain. In fact, she had been out with her grandkids two days prior, and she said if she would have done that before, she would have been feeling it for days on end, no pain. You may be asking, well, what what have the doctors said? We actually haven't got a doctor confirmation yet. But I still praise God for the miracle of one pain-free day. If you have fibromyalgia for 25 years and now you have a pain-free day, that's a miracle. That's a breakthrough. That's God bringing a miraculous touch upon your body. And even if the doctor were to say, you still have fibromyalgia, what if you were symptom-free for the rest of your life? What does it matter? That's a miracle. Or if, it, or if the symptoms came back, we still contend and we push in for the miracle that we had experienced. There's breakthrough. So if you're deaf in both ears and you walk away heal, with healing in, in one ear... Don't allow the the lack of healing in one ear keep you from the miracle. God has healed one ear. Push forward and contend for the next ear to be healed in Jesus. And that that is not condemning. That's not speaking down at you. I'm in the trenches with you. We're believing for some miracles very close to in our home, physically in our home. We're believing God is a God of the miraculous and a God that heals. But I pray that we recognize the breakthrough when it comes. And we don't miss it. The third example of breakthrough is prayer for our loved ones. These these three areas are all some of the most, I just feel like, relevant areas of contending, persisting in prayer, breakthrough prayer. And prayers for our loved ones are ones that that have a, a... a, a lifetime of, of prayers and history that we're praying into over our entire lives. I mean, I talk about it in the book that, that I wrote about my prayers for my kids, and those, those are prayers that I'm not going to see fulfilled this side of eternity because I'm praying for them, for, the, for their lives and their anointing and their love for Jesus to surpass mine and, and my wives. So those are big prayers And so in the waiting and in the meantime, I believe we have a mandate to recognize the breakthrough when it comes. 
And you know what the breakthrough looks like with our loved ones? Either if they don't know Jesus or if they do and you're just praying for God to move in their life, to work, to speak to them. It's recognizing the small things. Last, last Sunday, we, we had a church service in our home because LifePoint, full, the full meal deal was closed down. So we're like, we're still gonna have church. We had church in our living room and my daughter, who's five, just has a prophetic gift upon her. Sorry, she's not five, she's seven. <laughs> she's seven. I do have a five-year-old though and I do have a three-year-old, so there's mercy there, but wow. Um, she's seven, but she's very prophetic. And for me to recognize the authority that she's walking in as she prophesies over each one of us with such detail and there's, there's just such a, a beauty to it when she speaks out like that, for me to recognize that as the breakthrough, that's faith. Is it, is it the full prayer that I've prayed over her seven years of life? No, there's, there's still more to come. And there's still more contending and persevering and persisting that I need to push through in. I need to allow to, the promises of God to continue to feel that prayer for her. But I also have to cling to the breakthrough that God's given us. When my son comes home from a Sunday night service and says, Dad, I just love worshiping at the altar with you. I receive that as a breakthrough. When my five-year-old, my five-year-old daughter, she really is five, my five-year-old daughter <laughs> challenges me and asks me if I've shared Jesus with anybody today, I have to receive that as a breakthrough. The evangelist in her is coming out and I have to receive that as a breakthrough. With our loved ones, there are some in your family that maybe you've been praying for for years. They're the King Ahabs. They're the most for hard-hearted is this moment, the, the showdown with the prophets of Baal because everything seems to change with King Ahab and the following story, well, not the, the directly following story is the story of Jezebel chasing down Elijah, but the, follow, the story after that, King Ahab actually count, uh, wants the counsel of Elijah. He's now seeking Elijah out. His heart is beginning to soften. So for King Ahab, he had that turning point of breakthrough. And so I don't know what the breakthrough point is for some of your loved ones, but we have to have the faith to recognize it. Maybe it's one conversation. Maybe it's one conversation at work. You're not anything, you don't have anything to do with it, but they come to you and they talk to you about that situation, that conversation, and the demeanor changes. Their heart seems to be softening. Receive that as your breakthrough. I believe that too often we can allow the breakthrough that has yet to come, that has not come yet, to take away from the breakthrough that has already been given. I want us to respond to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.